Father in heaven, we thank you for all the things you do for us and that you've offered to teach us and to give us wisdom and understanding. And Lord, we sure need that. So we ask for that today and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to talk about uh, Ellen White's planting method, if we can call it that. Uh, in the night season, she was given a dream. The angel came to her and told her, uh, explained to her the science of the soil and what the different layers in the soil did. That gets quite complicated. Um, but then uh, she wrote it out so that it is so simple that even a child can follow this and get great results. And everywhere where I have lived on earth since I was about 13 years old, uh, I have planted trees this way. I used to say they have all done very well, and this last year I lost three trees. So, <laughs> uh, but there, there are a lot of different things that we can go over, we can, um, we can uh, cover. Uh, <clears throat> I was down in Brazil, and they wanted me to they wanted me to come down there and teach them how to grow trees this way. I said, no, no, that's too expensive a trip to go down there. And I can just talk to you on the internet and on the phone and you can do this. No, no, they insisted I go down there. So anyway, I went down there and spent three weeks um, planting trees. And we planted, I think we planted um, 400 and some fruit trees uh, on the side of a very steep mountain uh, and a uh, little school of the prophets down there and several thousand thorn bushes. What on earth would we plant thorn bushes for? <laughs> uh, they have a lot of theft and trouble down there and so our school, um, they, they had planted these, we planted these thorn bushes all around the edge and when those things mature I went back uh, a year and a half later and when those things grew up they're a solid barrier not even a dog could get through them there so <clears throat> it had some some benefit there uh, the growth uh, on those trees was incredible we put little sticks into the ground the size of a pencil and a year and a half later, it came back, and guava trees were about this tall and bearing fruit, already covered with fruit there. Cashew trees uh, that we'd planted a year and a half earlier were up and bearing fruit. And a buddy of mine who came with me from the States and I went down into that orchard the very first day, and we found that the cashew trees already had fruit on them. A cashew has a fruit and then has a nut underneath that there. And the, the fruit is edible and of course the nut is edible there. So we picked some of the fruit, it was ripe, and uh, tried to eat it and boy is it nasty. <laughs> it's not edible. So we took it up to the kitchen and if you put enough sugar with anything you can make it taste good there. Anyway, uh, the cashew trees had done, done well. Uh, all of those trees had uh, done very, very well. Uh, <clears throat> in my, my little neighborhood, 
um, Placerville, California, out in the woods there. Uh, we planted some trees like three and a half years ago. And all right, here's a year and a half's growth in Brazil. I don't even know the name of that tree. It's some kind of a fruit there, uh, but tremendous growth. And look at the hillside behind. It was so steep. We had to take a, we took a backhoe out there and tried to dig. And it was so steep that the director of the school uh, said he went out and hired about 30 of the local men there. And they came out with their, don't know what you call them even, but a big hole like this, the short handle, and dug holes. And those guys could dig a hole almost as fast as the, um, the, um, the um, backhoe. Okay, look at the size of that tree there. Oranges. Uh, there's a cashew tree I was talking about. There's the fruit of the cashew there. That's not ripe there, but there's the guavas covered with blossoms and little uh, guavas and uh, ripe guavas all at the same time. There's the avocado tree. It had not produced yet. Uh, but you can see the tremendous growth there. <clears throat> These are trees planted <clears throat> the Ellen White method. Both of those trees were the same size. Um, I think this is at six years of growth there. Uh, one planted the Ellen White method and one just the forestry method there. Uh, tremendous difference there. Okay, this method works. It's given to us by divine wisdom. Which tree would you like to grow? The, the little tree on your right there uh, actually died in a drought that we had back there. Okay, what is it? It's deep digging with different layers of soil, topsoil, rock powders, compost, all go together to create a healthy and abundant growth. Uh, the layer of rocks changes the electrical magnetic field in that planting hole, okay? Uh, that makes those trees grow faster. Uh, <clears throat> that's something we can measure and we can see works there. Any deep-rooted uh, plant will grow very well that way. We get a, a large healthy growth, um, abundance with high bricks, uh, just wonderful f uh, fruit there. Here's the, the um, <clears throat> diagram. And uh, let's start at the very bottom. And you see we have a mixture there of compost, leaf mold, topsoil, and we've now made a tree planting kit just to make it easier and less expensive for people to, to uh, uh, plant this way. So about one third of that bottom you see is filled up with that. Above that is a layer of gravel. On, your, on the graph there it says uh, eight. Um, that's just gravel. You want two to four inches of gravel through there. That's what's going to change um, that electrical magnetic field there. Um, the gravel, everything from the gravel down is going to be anaerobic, growing without oxygen. Everything from the gravel above is going to tend to be aerobic um, bacteria and microbes in the soil. It's the difference between the aerobic and the anaerobic that makes that um, uh, electrical charge there. Okay, then you see that we've got a pipe in there. It says air pipe. Just take a three or four inch air pipe. Well, how you get air down there is not so important as that you get air down there. 
the faster, uh, the more air we get to the plant roots, the faster that plant will grow, provided we don't dry it out. Okay, so we want to get air down there. Uh, okay, and that middle layer in there where the air tube is, is just plain topsoil. We don't want that real rich. Okay, above that now, that, that top third layer there is almost identical. We identified here as five, but five and nine are just about the same there. Now, it looks like a tin can around that. That's just a tree protector, okay? When you put these things in the ground, they're babies, and they need to be protected. Otherwise, you might have mice or cutworms or other things that would come in and damage that tree. It's a baby tree, so we need to baby it. When that gets bigger, um, it'll get tough, and we won't need that. <clears throat> then there's a very thin layer there of compost uh, with uh, minerals in it, and above that is a layer of mulch, some type of mulch uh, going around that tree. <clears throat> then on the very top, there's a layer of rock. Now, if this is in your front yard, you might want to put river rock or something around it to keep things neat and clean. Uh, <clears throat> if it's in the back 40, I don't, I don't worry about those rocks because in about six months' time, the earthworms are going to come up and eat all of that mulch, and it's going to be gone. And in my front yard, that means I've got to turn, throw the rocks out of the side and put more mulch in there and then put the rocks back. It's in the back 40. Uh, just put more mulch on top as you need. <clears throat> now, the earthworms are not going to take down anything that's dry. It has to be wet, or they're not going to take, down, take it down, and it has to be uh, dead. If it's live, they won't touch it there. <clears throat> so just put more mulch on top and it will uh, be fine. Okay, you want to dig a, a hole or a trench about three feet wide and three feet deep. You want to separate the topsoil from the subsoil. And you can tell it's an, it'll be a different color. Uh, we're going to use both, but put them in separate piles. Don't mix them together. There. Well, we're going to use topsoil. Uh, let's go back to this. Uh, you're going to have a, a mixture of compost. Let's go to number nine, okay? A mixture of compost, leaf mold, topsoil, all right? And you're going to have a mixture of topsoil in the very top, or the number five there, too. And <clears throat> um, number six is all plain topsoil there. So you're going to need quite a bit of topsoil. Often I will steal topsoil from, you know, the area around uh, to use in that planting hole if you don't have deep enough topsoil. Okay, here's a picture um, where we were we dug the hole, and now it's partially filled, and then the rocks that we dug out of that hole we just threw off to the side and we used those back in that hole. We didn't have to buy gravel there. I've used everything from pea gravel, small gravel, to stuff as big as uh, a softball. I really like maybe three-quarter inch gravel or something. It's easy uh, to use there. <clears throat> okay, we talked about an air pipe in there. That's just a, just, we found a piece of scrap pipe and cut it to size, dropped it in there. You see we've got rock on either side of it not blocking it. We want that air to be able to get out there to the roots. 
Okay, here we're putting in a gopher um, wire. This is a mistake. Um, not the gopher wire, uh, but the, the size of that. You want to cut uh, hardware cloth um, about at least nine feet long and probably ten feet long. Okay, and, and that will uh, wrap around and, uh, and be just about the right size for that three-foot hole. Uh, why you don't want it that, <clears throat> that small is it's hard to fill. It's just hard to work around. So make it bigger there, and it'll work better for you there. Okay, let's go on. Here's the same thing. Now this is before, this is the same spot, but it's before we um, had a um, deer fence around. So we put just makeshift deer fence around each one of these uh, um, trees. And when you do that, make sure that you stake that in because the deer will come up to that and they'll push against that fence and they'll get right up to your tree and they'll eat it right through that there. So make sure that they can't uh, push against it there. Now, today there's a nice deer fence around that there. <clears throat> okay, now with the subsoil, we're gonna create a berm or a dam around it, okay? And so we're going to use that subsoil, but we're going to use it as a, 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 a dam. You want that 9 or 10 feet in diameter. Um, that's to hold the water and the fertilizer. So if you're on part of a hill, you don't need the berm on the top side. You need it on the sides and the bottom there. There's <coughs> uh, some of our pathfinders. Okay, that's a three-and-a-half-year-old three tree, the planting the Ellen White method. Uh, there's a three-and-a-half-year-old tree planted the same day, the forestry method. Huge difference. All right, now I want you to look at the difference in the size of the trunks of those trees there. And I think we have some more pictures on that. Whoops. Okay, this is a dogwood tree. This is on my little street in the country <coughs> there. My neighbors uh, planted some dogwood trees. These are uh, four-and-a-half years old. And uh, so you can get a perspective of what they look like. These are 60, actually this is, uh, these trees now are 64 years since they were planted. These are pear trees. <clears throat> these are planted in the best soil in my county. Now my county goes from 10,000 feet high mountains to almost sea level. And I have soil tests on this land and I have soil tests on the other land. And this was planted in the very best soil in the whole county there, 60 years. I have a pear tree that is uh, three and a half years old. I don't have a picture of it in here. Um, but at three and a half years, that would produce more than any one of these pears and better quality there because we're using the Ellen White method. There's truly some divine wisdom here. I could not come up with this on my own in a hundred years. Um, but God has given it to us. It's one of the treasures he's given to us, and we are to use it, and we are to give it away to the world, to anybody that would benefit by it there. Okay, works on all kinds of plants. Um, any deep-rooted plant will do well here. Um, Ellen White mentioned that she grew tomatoes this way, and one of the guys in the garden club one day said, well, hey, Ellen White grew tomatoes this way. Um, let's see if we can plant a tomato plant this way. So we did. I put a great big cage around. This was an early girl tomato plant. Uh, put a great big cage around it because I knew it was going to grow very, very well. And in a few weeks, I had to tear that cage down because that tomato plant was too big. 
in a process, <coughs> I broke one of the main branches, but it's okay. We, we cut that off and stretched this cage out into a fence there so we could get to it <coughs> there. That tomato plant produced uh, right at 100 pounds of tomatoes on one, one plant. Now, the average on a tomato farm, outside I'm talking about tomato farm, the average is six pounds, six pounds of tomatoes per plant, then that plant's going to die. Uh, in your own backyard garden, you can probably double that. And if you're a real good gardener, you might triple that. Uh, about 100 pounds is, is pretty spectacular there. Uh, yes, that's a good question. Would we plant the tomato in the same hole each year? Yes. Well, you're going to have to redo some of the amendments, especially the nitrogens are going to go back into the air. Okay, but with your soil test, you'll know exactly what to do uh, with, with that. The ocean water, ocean water, and ocean water has 92 different minerals, okay? All in a perfect balance, meaning the percentage of one to the next to the next, all the way down, never varies. Now, how on earth does that happen? Because extra stuff is washed into the ocean every day. And so as extra things are washed into the ocean, whatever is out of that balance quickly drops to the ocean floor. So that that balance is always the same. It doesn't matter if you go to the Pacific or the Atlantic, or if you go to the Dead Sea or even the Great Salt Lake, as long as you're just using the water, not what's on the ocean floor, uh, that balance would be the same. Uh, now. Uh, the Pacific Ocean compared to maybe the Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake is going to have less water and more uh, minerals. Uh, so we may have to adjust that way. But if you're using the, the ocean water dehydrated, uh, then it's very simple to do here. Now we have these 92 different minerals in the ocean. And so we analyze the ocean water and we analyze human blood and they match. Okay, almost exactly, not quite. There are three differences. First difference is that, <clears throat> the very first difference is that um, in the ocean, almost all of the iron quickly drops to the ocean floor. There's very little iron in the water itself. In our blood, we have lots of iron. So our blood is red and the ocean is green or clear uh, there. When it comes to uh, phosphate, the second difference is phosphate, and phosphate is a major mineral that we need in the ground. There's not enough phosphate in the ocean water to grow land plants. I've tried it. It just doesn't work there. The phosphate drops to the ocean floor. It's a tremendous amount of phosphate in the ocean. It's in bones. It's in shells. It's in little modules on the ocean floor. And there are companies that make equipment to come in and sweep the ocean floor and harvest phosphate. There's plenty of phosphate in the ocean, but not enough in the water. So if you're, if you're um, using ocean water as a major um, part of your fertility program, um, then you, you, you need to be able to add iron if it's necessary and phosphate. And then the third difference is that all life is electrical. Um, so in the ocean, with all these mineral salts, there's no problem with electrical currents freely flowing in every direction. Uh, on land, it's nitrogen that brings that 
electrical spark into the plant. And so we always have to pay attention to nitrogen. And now another thing is that nitrogen is, is um, a gas. So the nitrogen that we get in the garden is always tied up with something else. Uh, and it's always going back into the atmosphere. So we constantly have to add nitrogen or be aware of it, make sure that our plants get enough there. All right, I wanted to say something else about these minerals in the ocean. Um, some of them are in there in, let's go to the trace minerals, are in there in parts per million. And some of them, the rare earth minerals, are in there in parts per billion, very, very small amounts, see. But it matches human blood there. Uh, if it's in our blood, God doesn't waste things. If it's in our blood, it must be there for a purpose. Um, if it's in the ocean, God is telling us that we have a source of, of these minerals that we can get. Now, uh, don't go and dr drink the ocean water. Uh, it is in a crystal, the minerals in the ocean are in a crystalline form. No animal, not even an insect, can use those minerals directly in that form. Um, let the plant take that up through the roots, and then in the leaf of the plant, which is the factory for that plant, it's going to take that crystalline chemical and combine it with carbon from carbon dioxide right out of the air. Now it's changed that crystalline chemical into an organic mineral. Now you can eat all of those minerals that you want through the plant in an organic form, and you will not overdose. You will not harm yourself that way. Uh, if you drink the water directly, it actually is toxic for us. Now, <clears throat> anything to excess um, is toxic. And let me give you another example. If I cut my finger, um, the blood is salty, right? We have a lot of salt in our bodies. We die quickly without it. We have to have this balance of salt. If I get a drop of, of um, sweat or a tear into my mouth, it's very salty there. But if I take five little teaspoons of salt at one time, doesn't matter whether it's the ocean water or just better than the normal table salt we have, doesn't matter if I have five little teaspoons of that salt, that's a lethal dose. Um, used to be a way of, um, an honorable way in China years ago of um, committing suicide there. Anything out of balance is, is, is going to be a problem. Now, these, these 92 different minerals, everything that's in that periodic chart that's a mineral is in there. Well, we have things like arsenic, lead, mercury, uh, cadmium. I mean, these are, these are poisons, right? These are poisons. All right, so, so let the plant take it up, make it into an organic form. It's also in your body, remember, so that your body can use that to the best advantage uh, there. Okay, a few years, a few years ago, um, they actually discovered that arsenic was a necessary nutrient for human health, obviously in very small amounts. Yeah, and get it in the organic. Uh, form here. Boy, we're in the Northwest and it's very difficult to grow 
peaches here because they get peach leaf curl and the tree dies there. Uh, there are some new varieties that are, that are um, more resistant to peach leaf curl here. But there are a lot of sprays that we go in the nursery we can buy and so forth uh, for, for this. Um, so I tried an experiment. It wasn't my idea. I got it from, from um, I think it was, um, anyway, I got it from a book where we, <coughs> where we use, where we have peach leaf curl. Now, peach leaf curl comes when we have wet, cold springs. And in one uh, spring, uh, I had a peach, leaf, a peach tree on the side of the house, and it just got covered with peach leaf curl. I mean, there were, every leaf practically was badly infected there. Uh, it's a virus. Uh, and, uh, and what we have is um, uh, an uncontrolled growth of cells. Now, if we had an uncontrolled growth of cells in an animal or human, we'd call that cancer, right? We don't call this peach leaf cancer, but that's what it is, uncontrolled growth of cells there. So I took uh, the ocean water, mixed it with a, uh, you know, mixed it and sprayed that tree with the, uh, uh, with that mixture. Matter of fact, uh, I just, I doused that tree real good with it. Now, all of those diseased leaves, in about a week or so time, they turned black and they died. Sometimes I'd have a leaf that was partly good and the bottom part had peach leaf curl on it. What was interesting is that the diseased part would die and the other part would get healthier there. But anyway, almost all these uh, uh, leaves fell off this tree or died and, uh, <clears throat> and then the new leaves that came on had no peach leaf curl. The color was great, um, the tree was healthy, and I thought, wow, that really works. I'm really glad to, to know that. But I got the biggest surprise when, when those peaches ripened uh, in late summer. And I went out and um, I get impatient. And so I, I looked the tree over to find the ripest, the ripest fruit and, and see what it's going to be like there. Anyway, uh, the biggest surprise was that they were the most delicious peaches I had ever eaten in my life. I had no idea that that would happen. They were incredibly good there. <clears throat> now, the next year was a drier year, and we did not have peach leaf curl on that tree. So I didn't treat it, didn't worry about it. And it produced a very nice uh, uh, harvest of peaches again. And when the peaches began to ripen, I did the same thing. I went out there and tried to pick the ripest one to see what they were going to be like this year. You know what? They were good, but they did not have that flavor that I had the year before. So I quickly went into the garage, mixed up the ocean water with some fresh water, and went out and doused that tree again. Uh, now, what I didn't tell you before is you need to do this probably twice a week apart, at least one week apart. And if you have a real bad uh, diseased tree, maybe you'll do it three weeks, but do it about a week apart there. 
So I, I, now, I, now I'm dousing this tree again. I'm just um, watering it down with this ocean water solution there. Uh, <clears throat> it did not work. Uh, those peaches were good. If I'd bought them in the grocery store, I would have been pleased with the flavor, but they, it did not have that flavor that we had the previous year. Uh, <clears throat> so it needs, what I, what I learned from that and from other experiments is that we need to get those minerals to the plant while the fruit is forming. The same is true with your tomatoes. Um, you, you, you will have tomatoes that are better in flavor than any you have ever eaten in your whole life, but you've got to get those minerals to the plant uh, when those uh, tomatoes are forming. So about the time the flowers are coming on, same with the peach tree, about the time the flowers are coming, you need to get some of those minerals on uh, to that tree. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with apples in this. Um, I know that cherries are incredibly good this way. <clears throat> um, tomatoes, onions of all things. You can grow onions that are almost sweet enough to eat like apples. Um, and uh, uh, carrots respond very well to this, just incredibly better. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, <clears throat> my granddaughter would come to my garden class, not because I was there, but because a little friend of hers would come. <laughs> and so these two little girls, they'd run around while, you know, Grandpa was talking or working in the garden with other people and so forth. There. Now we had a garden, a church garden, where we had six rows, and each row was a different method of growing so that we could compare. So if I put an early girl tomato plant in one row, I'd buy six plants and we'd plant one in each row, so we'd have a good comparison. And if I was planting carrots, I'd plant the same carrot seed in each row or whatever it was, you see, so we have a good comparison. Well, uh, one day, these two little girls were out running around, and they'd go through the garden and they would taste things, you know, and decide whether they liked them or not there. So um, they started on the upper row and were tasting carrots this particular day. And they weren't ripe yet, they were just as big as my little finger maybe. But they taste them and say, phew, that doesn't taste good, you know. Then they'd go to the next row, no, that's no good. They got to the ocean water row and those girls stopped and they kept eating carrots there. Oh, these are only 30 foot long rows. And so the amount of carrots was maybe only this much in a row there. So after a while, I, I called to my granddaughter and said, you know, maybe, uh, maybe girls shouldn't, maybe eat some carrots from another row. I want the people in the garden to be able to taste the difference here too. There said, uh-oh, Poppy, the others don't taste good. So, uh, uh, you can make carrots very, very sweet there, and most everything uh, will respond well to it. Some people think that they can taste the difference with green beans, and some people think they can't, but most things you'll, you, you get a difference there. There's another thing that happens here, and that is that um, when we grow fully mineralized, I'm talking about ocean water, and it's not just ocean water, there's other things that we have to balance in the soil like the calciums and phosphate and so forth. But uh, when, we, when we grow fully mineralized, um, including the ocean water, 
we get very long shelf life. You know from your own experience that if you buy a cucumber, take it home, put it in the bottom of the refrigerator, it's the first thing to turn to mush, right? Yeah. Well, uh, my youngest daughter was in this garden class one year, and uh, she picked a cucumber, a lemon cucumber, it happens to be my favorite, out of the ocean water room, and uh, took it home, uh, and we did not put it in the refrigerator, I put it in the garage. This was in September. A year later in September, my wife found that cucumber in the garage. And she said, what's this thing? I said, don't throw that away, that's my cucumber. <laughs> now, it had dehydrated. We didn't eat it for supper that night, uh, but there was absolutely no rot. Dr. Kerry Reams uh, was teaching in uh, Orlando, Florida, University of Florida, uh, agriculture, and <clears throat> This man was a genius, but anyway, um, he grew watermelons one year. He entered three in the Florida State Fair and won first prize. Uh, after the, the fair was over, he took those three watermelons and he put them on his desk where he taught there. The next year, he entered the same three watermelons in the State Fair, and the year after that, too. Uh, now. Uh, what he was showing is that when food is grown fully mineralized, it will not rot. One exception is if you, if you cut the skin, that's a place for infection to get in. But as long as that is a full, healthy um, fruit, um, that, will, that will dehydrate, but it will not rot. Uh, around the office at International Ag Labs, um, I think six years or more they had they had an orange sitting on the desk for six years or more. No rot whatsoever there. Anyway, you'll get long shelf life um, with this as well as great taste. And the taste and the nutrient value, the healing value, go together. So what a wonderful gift we have from God. Yes. Okay, Tracy says, can I explain each layer um, for uh, the Ellen White planting method? Let's see. Okay, what, e what does each layer do? Um, this lo lower one-third here, first we've amended the soil. So there are good, there's good food there for our plant, and, and it's deep. Uh, <clears throat> now, but that lower layer is anaerobic, growing without oxygen, and then the top layer has the same minerals in it, same identical minerals in it. You see microbes, whether they're in the bottom layer or the top layer, they need the same food. They need the same things there. But what's happening is that one is creating a positive current and one is creating a, a negative current. And so that the difference between the two makes an electrical magnetic charge there. Let me tell you a story. In uh, West Africa, in the Kala, Kalahari Desert, there, there's a Swedish company under grant that is making long trenches, and they're filling them the Ellen White method. And they're not growing anything. Uh, they're putting a wire in the bottom layer, and they're putting a, a wire in the top layer, and then they bring these two wires together on the far end, and what they're doing that for is to create electricity. 
You see, these villages in the Kalahari Desert are a good 100 kilometers from the closest power line. And so now, all of a sudden, way out there um, in the desert, uh, these villages cut off from the rest of the world for a thousand years, all of a sudden uh, they have LED lights all night long and they have enough electricity to recharge their cell phones and their uh, laptops and so forth. So these villages that have been isolated for a thousand years all of a sudden are connected to the rest of the world. Wow, what does that mean? That means that all of a sudden they can get the gospel. All of a sudden. And yet they're at least 100 kilometers from the closest power line theirs. So very interesting um, uh, results. All, all life is electrical, is energy, okay? We talk about using these different minerals and what have you that the plants use, and they are, but, uh, but it, what it is is that one element is reacting against another and it's creating energy there. So we have uh, chemical energy that the plant is using. We have energy from the sun that the plant is using. We have energy from the electrical force in the ground there. The earth is round and out of the south pole uh, there's a, a, a electrical current that comes, all right? And it goes around the earth in the topsoil and goes into the North Pole. It is constantly being fed by solar wind. So it's a constant um, flow of energy there. In experiments where they have created a specialized room where they could, where you could go in there and not have that energy flow. So some, in these experiments, people would go in there and they close the door and they immediately went out. We are constantly being um, kept alive by God's energy, the way he created this whole world there. So anyway, a lot of, uh, lot of energy, a lot of benefits there. Okay, when I am um, planting trees, and I'm digging holes like this. I like to fill that hole up with water. Okay, so I've got the hole done. I'll fill it up with water. And if that water does not leach out of that in 24 hours, don't plant in that hole. Your tree is going to dr drown there. When it rains, it's going to go in there and, you're, and it's going to drown. So what happens if you have that type of uh, situation? Well, then you can build up there. We just did this in Auburn, California at uh, Adventist School there and uh, it was hard, hard clay soil. I filled the, the, the um, hole up with water, came, came back several days later and there's still water in it there. So we had to build up uh, there and often as you're going through uh, agricultural land you'll see that, that um, even in good land that they will have uh, a, a hill, a mound, a hill in the middle, and that that's what they plant on. And so when you have heavy, heavy rains, you're not losing your, your plants, your trees there. So the layer of gravel is just, that's the insulation between the two, all right? Uh, a lot of people say, oh, that's for drainage. It's not. It's the insulator there, okay? Then the plain soil there, when you, when you plant a tree there and we've got all of these minerals in there, it's better... Um, if we don't have too rich of a soil, let the tree get started 
there, and then it'll do better. Incidentally, uh, I've been several places where we were planting maybe a little orchard or something, and so we dig the holes and whatever, and we're ready to, to start putting the trees in and filling them there. And uh, uh, several places I've had people go along and take the trees out and drop one by this hole and one by this hole and one by that hole. Don't do that. Um, those trees, roots in the wind and the sunshine will dry out very quickly and you could kill a tree, at least do major damage in not too many minutes. So keep that, uh, keep those tree roots in the wet sawdust that came in or um, something we say healing them in is we, we just make a shallow trench, lay the tree down in it, and cover the roots with soil. There, just keep those uh, roots moist until you've actually got them in there. Okay, um, then we, uh, now, if you go back to uh, Herbert Clarence White's book, you'll see that he used a big rock underneath that root ball there. Ellen White didn't talk about that. He said it was for an anchor. Well, if you had a peach tree and you were in a windy area, you might want to do that. Um, but Ellen White didn't talk about it, and most of the time it just gets in the way. It doesn't help you at all. And if you have a tree that has a taproot, then you're really messing it up there. So, um, and then many of your feeder roots are going to be right on the surface there. Um, you. As you walk out and you see lawns and whatever, you'll see that many roots, many tree roots are right on the surface there. So that's important to have that. Uh, the purpose of the air pipe is that um, your, your plant roots need air. The more air you get to that plant, the roots of that plant, without drying it out, uh, the faster that plant will grow. So the tree roots need it. The microbes need it, the earthworms need it, and if we have a huge big rainstorm, it's a place for extra water to go temporarily there. So there are a lot of benefits to it. That's not connected to the surface. Often we will plant in long trenches, okay? There I'll use French drain pipe, which is, has holes all the way along it, and then I will ex um, exit both ends to fresh air. Um, let me talk to you about some mistakes that I've made and I've seen other people make too there. And one is that, see, we put a lot of, of uh, air in that hole. We've got um, compost and mulch and uh, peat moss and things like that. That, that is going to shrink over that first year, okay? So you need to plant that high enough so that when it drops, because the, the soil in that hole is going to drop, so when it drops, that it's going to be about level with the other. All right, now, uh, most of the trees that you want to use are going to be grafted. Okay, don't just say, oh, that was a good apple, I'm going to plant the seed. Um, get, an, uh, get a grafted tree. Well, let me tell you why that is. Um, are you exactly like your father? Are you exactly like your mother? Are you exactly like any of your grandparents? No. Why, where did you come from? Okay, it was gene pool, right? And so we're a mix here. The same thing is true with our trees, see? So we have this gene pool coming down. So if I eat an apple and the 
that it's really good and I save the seed and plant it, I'm not gonna get an apple tree that's producing the same thing. I'm gonna get something else. Most of the time, about 99% of the time, it's something you don't want. It'll be gnarly, small, or won't taste good, or whatever, you know. So spend the money and get a, a grafted tree for most trees. Not all, but most trees. Uh, uh, otherwise, you're just wasting a lot of time and energy and money trying to grow that, um, that uh, uh, tree. Okay, Tracy says, why do we cover the soil there? In most places, we want to conserve moisture, in, at least in the summertime, okay? Uh, but there's another very good reason, and that is that uh, if we have a mulch out there, uh, the earthworms are going to come up and eat that and take it down. Now, uh, we've gone down three feet. Some places we've gone down four feet, and uh, so we've prepared a lot of soil. However, the, the earthworms are going to go way down below that. Um, some places where we've been building, I can remember that we would be um, six feet, eight feet, even 12 feet under the ground. We were excavating for foundation and other things there. And I would find earthworms. These are the night crawlers there. And in drier parts of the country, they'll go down there uh, during the summer, the dry part, and they kind of hibernate down there until it gets moisture. Then they'll come up again. So uh, they're going to dig and, per, and loosen that soil and enrich that soil uh, far deeper um, than you and I can, can do it. So let's use nature whenever we can there. Uh, talking about nature, one final point that I've got to quit. If you grow cherries, a lot of different fruits, sometimes you're just growing for the birds, right? You get a nice tree full of cherries and you don't get any. The birds get them all, all right? It's a real simple solution to that. Uh, make friends with the hummingbirds and put a hummingbird feeder in that tree, okay? You need it, you need it there at least six weeks before the cherries or the peaches or whatever is gonna be ripening there. The hummingbird has to know that that's his place to feed. Okay, the hummingbird won't touch your fruit, but he'll keep all the other birds away, including blue jays and, and uh, crows and so forth. Uh, think about it, if you have a hummingbird feeder and you go out to replace, you know, give them more food, uh, they're buzzing you, right? They're saying, hey, that's my place to eat, you know. Anyway, uh, use them, they're good, they're good benefits for you there. Thank you, thank you very much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.